Hello and welcome to the NFNL podcast for the 2022 season. I'm Samuel Zito, joined in this edition by the NFNL's newest full-time staff member, the new NFNL media manager, Nicholas Sacco. Nick, welcome to the podcast and congratulations on the new gig. Thank you, Samuel. Very good to be in the hot seat. I'm very excited to get stuck into it and uh, continue the great work you've done along the years. Well, we look forward to you uh, taking the reins and look forward to what you have to say throughout uh, today's episode of the podcast. And also joining us in season 2022 is Josh Ward. Josh, welcome back. Of course, one of our new members last year, now a veteran of the media (laughs) team, and there's plenty to get excited about about the upcoming NFNL campaign. Uh, Yeah, good afternoon, Samuel and Nicholas. Great to be alongside the current and the future (laughs) media manager of the NFNL and uh, I'm like a little boy on Christmas this week it's uh it's exciting that local footy and the NFNL is back this week. I cannot wait for this season yeah, to begin. Yeah, been a long time coming. Of course, we haven't had a game or a competitive game of football in the NFNL since July last year. So it's been a long time, of course, uh, throughout the summer months. There's been plenty of uh, action on the netball courts, which has been great. And well, I guess we'll say from the outset, a, a remarkable effort by everyone associated with that competition, be the players, coaches, the clubs and, and the umpires as well, to, to be able to, to get out of lockdown in, in late October and have that competition start mid-November, go all the way through, had to, I guess, deal with some challenges early on with no crowds and then obviously um, just different um, restrictions in place on the way, plus COVID numbers as well. So a great effort by uh, everyone involved to, um, to get the competition um, played throughout the summer months. We won't have any netball now for another month or so before the winter season starts, but later in the program we'll go over the action that took place throughout the 2021-22 netball campaign with the grand finals played on the Friday that just went by. But before we take a look at the season that is in the uh, in a football front, of course, this coming weekend, all football competitions are in action. So we'll have our three senior men's competitions. On the Sunday, we'll have senior women's action with one game on a Saturday, of course, a twilight game at J.E. Moore Park between West Preston Lakeside and Eltham. We've got the under-19s back, and we'll have a look at the uh, the numbers we've got there. And, and then, on of course, Sunday as well, junior footy. So all around, Josh, you said you were like a, a kid... On Christmas morning, I think everyone who plays uh, any any local sport is uh, just raring to go for this year. And from our competition standpoint, how good it is to have uh, everyone back and and ready to go for a huge campaign. Yeah, I'm ex- like I said, I'm excited. It's uh, it's going to be a very interesting comp- very interesting season in all competitions, whether that be women's footy, women, the netball, the netball. The season that's passed was a really interesting one and culminated in a in a great finale on fr- on Friday night. Um, uh, the under 19s and of course the senior competitions I'm really excited about the men's seniors competitions because it's hard to pick who who can do well particularly up top in, in the Melbourne Greyhounds Division 1 competition and yeah it's going to be an exciting year it is looking very even there before we get into our season preview from a, from a seniors point of view Probably no better way to start the uh, podcast than by having a chat with the CEO of the Northern Football Netball League, Peter McDougall. It's been a uh, hectic off-season. It goes without saying, of course, uh, going back and rewinding to last year and, and trying to get the end of the 2021 season away. Obviously... We prolonged dates and whatnot, couldn't get that season done, but it then makes for a, uh, a pretty manic off-season as well as we get prepared for, for this coming campaign. So after what has been a, a much longer off-season than normal, I think no better way to uh, prepare for the upcoming season to, than to speak with the CEO of the NFNL, Peter McDougall, um, just to discuss, I guess, the, the state of play right now and what's ahead for 2022. So he, here is the Chief Executive Officer of the NFNL, Peter McDougall. 
Our first guest on the NFNL podcast for the 2022 season is the Chief Executive Officer of the NFNL, Peter McDougall. Peter, thank you for joining us and for being the first guest that we'll take uh, on the program this year. It's obviously been a very long off-season given the fact we didn't get through all of 2021. Um, how's the league's operations been since, unfortunately, we had to prematurely end last season and now we're, I guess, on the cusp of a, an exciting new campaign? Yeah, thanks, Samuel. Good to be back in, in more ways than one. And, yeah, it seems a, an extended break from the end of last season that uh, came to a, an abrupt halt and, unfortunately, weren't able to get things back on track to, to be able to play finals. So, therefore, it's been a long pre-season and I think everybody's now at the stage where they just want to get on and bounce the ball or throw the netball and, and get all the game started. So, um off-season's been good. Uh, it's been lots of good things happening. We've seen some growth, which we'll probably talk about a little bit later, but um, some really positive signs ultimately across the board, and, yeah, we're ready to go. Yeah, I mean, you talk about growth there, which is fantastic given the fact that we've been isolated and locked up for so much of the last two years. But from a, a part participation perspective, how are we looking, I guess, competition number-wise, but and more specifically um, with numbers of teams, how's that all shaping ahead of the new year? Well, early indications with our team uh, numbers were 14 new teams for the season. I think that's shrunk down by a handful now. Some late withdrawals earlier this week that has reduced it down to maybe seven or eight new teams, but still positive growth, so that's great. Uh, we did struggle in some of the bottom age junior teams competitions last year, so we've seen some better numbers there in those age groups this year. And at the top end of the juniors, we've seen a big jump in our under-17 team numbers, which is probably the best numbers we've had for quite a while. So some really positive signs uh, at the top and bottom end of our junior comps. I guess from a, I mean, we hate to say the word COVID, but I guess it's um, ever present in the society we're in now. But how do we prepare for, I guess, uh, going into a new season when we know that there are going to be at times obstacles we have to try and clear? But how do we get clubs um, in the mindset that we um, are able to play and that that we're just going to have to manage things as they go when it comes to certain obstacles that get in our way from a COVID point of view? I think the one thing we have learned through COVID is to be adaptable and to be able to be flexible at short notice and therefore everyone I think has um, learnt that whether it's at a club level or a league level so I think that's held us in good stead for this year saying that uh, our forecasts are that the impact we've had the last two years and the interruptions we've had um, I think we're in a lot better place this year to uh, see the season out firstly and uh, any hiccups along the way we're in a better place to be able to deal with them we only have to look at some of the AFL games at the moment where you've got some teams that are COVID impacted and their playing list is really challenged and tested and West Coast have got to bring in top-up players. Uh, I'd be naive to think that our clubs won't or teams won't be impacted in some capacity during the year with with uh, COVID cases. Uh, so we've had to bring in some bylaws around how we manage those situations uh, if they and when they occur and the clubs are across that. We've run through that with all their presidents and secretaries and, and our coaches as well at the various meetings pre-season. So um, we can't do any more than prepare and put uh, mechanisms in place to cater for any of these interruptions. 
now it's just a matter of hoping that the impact is minimal and, and therefore it doesn't put too much stress on clubs at any one particular time. Um, from a, I guess, umpiring point of view, we know that um, whether it's football, netball, any, I guess, any grassroots community sport is going to be impacted probably in the last tw- 24 months with umpiring numbers. We've seen it become a, a topic that's been discussed at mainstream media point of view as well. We've seen the AFL bring in new rules about, um, you know, preventing players from abusing umpires and penalties in place for, for doing so. But um, how do we, how are we shaping from a, an umpiring numbers point of view? And I guess how important is it to have a, a good match? day environment to ensure that you know, we, we pr- provide an environment that umpires want to officiate in and, and that we can retain those that we, we do have? Yeah, good question because the last two years we've seen some real challenges in the whole umpiring space. Firstly from a recruitment and retention perspective start of last year we were behind the eight ball. We saw a big drop off after having no season in 2020. We put a lot of good uh, strategies and initiatives in place early last season that saw our numbers spike up again and ultimately finished the end of last season when we come to a halt. We were sitting at around 430 umpires, which is was pretty good and gave us really good coverage across all games uh, compared to earlier in the season where we struggled to fill all games. Early indications for this year were really positive and we thought our numbers were going to come back as strong as they finished last year. Unfortunately, our numbers have plateaued uh, since the last month. As of today, our numbers have jumped to, I think we're up to 277 umpires compared to 430, so we're still 150 down, which is a big difference uh, as far as how we try to fill our numbers. So the challenge for us is... Probably Sundays and juniors, it's a bit easier to fill the, all appointments at this stage. Saturdays is proving to be our biggest challenge is uh, to get the coverage through seniors, reserves and under-19s and potentially any women's games that are played on a Saturday. That puts probably a bit more pressure on uh, Cam Nash to fill those appointments. We'll probably find that in some of those other games on a Saturday that some field umpires will be doubling up from 19s to seniors, so they'll have a break in between. We'll have no boundaries in some under-19s and reserves games potentially, so we're still looking at different ways to manage that and whether we bring in a different rule in regards to out-of-bounds even, uh, just based on our umpire numbers. So we're most likely to look at whether that's the last touch rule or we ball it up instead of having to have boundary umpires in the reserves, which means that clubs don't have to find an extra volunteer to get out there and, and officiate. So if it can be a common sense outcome and approach that minimises the impact on clubs as well as um, the players and, 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 and the game itself, then we're, we're starting to look at all those options now. But... The one thing is, as I said to all the people at our season's launch last Wednesday, is that we're still going to be working hard to try to keep recruiting and bringing in new umpires. So if anyone wants to take up umpiring, uh, we'll definitely um, be able to find you a position to get in there and help out. It's good money, tax-free, good pocket money for teenagers that might be looking just to save up for something. So, yeah, look, anyone that knows of anyone that wants to umpire, give Cam Nash a call in our office and Cam will take it from there and look after you. 
absolutely plenty of opportunities available there um, with I guess um, the women's football with it um, you mentioned it there and um, obviously we have some games Saturday but predominantly on Sunday but um, 23 teams obviously it's I think it's the same as last year which is which is an equal record um, but how proud are you to see clubs that are I guess clubs have traditionally played in the NFL men's competition, uh, Heidelbergs, Montmorency's, um, West Preston Lakes. So they're now at a p- position where they can field two teams of, of, of women's. Um, given we didn't have a competition here in the women's space, you know, as recently as 2016, um, significant growth from those clubs to be able to field two teams, as will Darabin and, and Diamond Creek women's who have obviously been uh, in that space for a very long time. Oh, the, the, the way that our clubs have embraced the, the women's football has been sensational and I think it's worth noting that when we first started up our women's competition we did inherit the second tier competition from AFL Victoria so we had a number of clubs from outside of the league that were playing with us to begin with clubs like Bendigo and Waddles Colts to Q and Latrobe Uni etc so the plan was always to babysit that competition and then for them to transition back into the same competition as to where their men's teams are playing, whether that's in Eastern or the Avafa or, or wherever, or back up in Bendigo. Um, so we've gradually transitioned those clubs out over that time. So when we look at our numbers now, we've got a real good, clean economy of almost 100% NFNL clubs, the VU Spurs, is the only club we have now that doesn't have a men's team that came in under that uh, second-tier competition from AFL Vic. So if, to build our numbers on the back of all those other clubs transitioning out uh, is probably a better result to show how well we have grown because if we just took those out of the calculations to begin with, our team numbers of NFNL clubs was not that high. So by taking them out will demonstrate greater growth as a percentage or a number of teams mm. than, than probably what we think our record number is. So it can be misleading. So I think that just makes it a, a greater achievement for our clubs that they've really got on board and increased the number of NFNL club teams yeah, in the competition. And in a netball space, I mean, it was fantastic last Friday to see everyone back out on the courts for a big grand final, right? Seven sections and um, a lot of spectators in the house. So it's fantastic that that season's been able to be played given we only just got out of lockdown basically when the season commenced. Um, but we're also doing plenty of work um, with uh, in the office, Dallin Berry and Lauren Theodosis in the junior netball space as well. And that's really, a, I guess, a key priority area for the, for the league at the moment to build that, that junior netball competition. Yeah, so it was great to finish the summer comp last Friday night um, after an interrupted you know, couple of years that we've had. So that was great to be able to see seven sections play off in grand finals, which was the most number of sections we've ever had in a summer comp. So that was great to see that everyone was just keen to get out and play again. In that junior space, as you mentioned, yes, Darwin and Lauren in particular have been working really hard in that junior netball space that's part of our strategic plan and direction is to create pathways for all of our clubs so whether it's football or netball from junior to senior uh, that you can you know, be belong to one club and be able to participate from net set go all the way through to our senior netball competition in years to come and, and play for the same club all the way through and that's important for our club sustainability strategies and making sure that our clubs are strong and healthy and viable for the longer term and, and not just the short term. And by bolstering up 
their membership base and allowing clubs to increase their number of teams equals the ripple effect of you know, you'll get more, potentially more volunteers, more teams, more fundraising opportunities, you know, potential new committee members, sponsors, etc. So the ripple effect continues on and it just means that as a league, our clubs would be less vulnerable uh, if they hit a a hiccup along the way that they can absorb that because they've got really good strong healthy numbers to, to keep them tracking for many years to come so that that's the key objective is club sustainability and this is a strategy to hopefully uh, allow that to happen so we've been working closely in that north of Epping precinct you know through schools and and our clubs to start up the junior netball so fortunately they're kicking off on uh, Wednesday and um, we look forward to seeing the first batch of teams start to play. We'll start off small, which is not a bad thing. It just gives us a chance to get organised and, and make sure that any teething problems, we get it sorted out. And then from there, we look forward to seeing some really good growth into the coming future. Um, you, you talk about club sustainability, but within the office, um, you've been able to add to the, the staffing profile with Callum Griffiths taking on the role of club development officer. What I guess, what does that entail for those from the outside? What, what will that mean for what clubs can access uh, as a service from within the NFNL office? Yeah, so Callum's come on board, which is great. It's been part of a, a partnership with AFL Victoria. So AFL Victoria have uh, funded uh, Callum's role pretty much, uh, which has been terrific for two years to provide support to clubs, uh, not necessarily to come out and cl- tell clubs whether they yeah, are doing a good job or not and running their club, but it's more about resource support that if they're needing assistance in certain areas, that there's a person within our administration that they can come to who could do the legwork and go out and find the, the information or the answer that they're looking for or templates or resources or etc. So it's somebody that can help the clubs, uh, whether it's developing policies and bylaws to applications for grants and, and all those sort of things. Um, so Callum's role will, will take up that, which would be terrific. And it's just another way of helping uh, our clubs and, and supporting them in everything they do. Um, there is a bit of a different staffing profile though going into the league as well. Obviously, Nick Sacco is just uh, commenting now as uh, NFL media manager, but obviously the process is voluntarily in way to uh, or in place to um, to have I guess a new, uh, new replacements for both Simon Devine and Paul Rogash as well. Challenging timing given the fact that it's rotten the eve of the season, but new opportunities await for those that take on the role. That's it, and obviously yourself moving on. But um, yeah, look, never rains but it pours. That's what I was saying at the launch. It, um, it's pleasing to see you know, how people go on and, and develop and, and take the next step in their careers. So we can never begrudge somebody from wanting to better themselves. So that's great. Um, from that point of view, we've had really good retention with our staffing levels for a number of years. Um, it's pretty pretty difficult to break into our office structure because everyone's so well entrenched and, and retained there. But... Um, yeah, sometimes it, things just happen at once and it's just all about time. But um, so yeah, it's a great opportunity. Uh, Paul's been with us for uh, three years. Um, so he moves on um, to another role in in council. Um, Simon has been here a bit longer, five and a half years in that footy ops and both really demanding and tough roles, probably you know, the, to- the two toughest roles that we've got 
in the organisation when you're talking about operations and footy ops in particular when you're dealing with you know, all the moving parts that make up running competitions. So um, it's probably the highest, and when you look at other leagues, that those operations roles are probably the highest turnover roles across all leagues, to be honest. And we've been fortunate to have some really good stability there. So Simon's moving on to the next stage of his career, which is a step up into uh, water polo for water polo Victoria. So you can't knock him for you know taking a step up, which is great for him. Um, and then obviously yourself, eleven years, fantastic everything that you've done here in regards to building our whole media and commercial and not commercial but communications arm of the league in particular radio shows like these podcasts um it's been great and uh, well deserved to be able to go on and take the next step into the afl world for yourself so um, when you sit back and you look at everyone individually it's pretty hard to knock uh, what's happening uh, so the recruitment process, as you said, Nicholas Sacco has already been appointed to take over from yourself, which is a great opportunity for Nicholas to get involved in a full-time capacity. He's been a great volunteer for the league for a number of years. And um, to me, it's it's nice to be able to reward someone for continuous volunteering in an organisation who goes away continues to develop himself through his uni degree and continually fine-tuning his skills through whether it's writing for the website or helping with the radio broadcast in the years gone by to now being able to step into your shoes and um, I'm sure he's you know, he's got a really good teacher there that will you know, put his own stamp on things but um, I think it's just great to give a young person an opportunity who's, who's well and truly earned the right to step in based on the hard work he's put in to date so it's, it's great for Nicholas and look forward to him growing and developing into the future as well. So I think as a whole, yes, there's change, but with change brings opportunities for other people as well. And um, with Paul's replacement as junior footy manager, we'll be close to making an announcement with his replacement as well. So we'll finish the process there. So we'll just go through our due diligence before we release that next week. And um, we're just waiting to finalise um, the process for Simon's replacement as well. But we're moving really quickly to replace everyone, knowing that the season's upon us and we don't have the luxury of taking our time in the off-season to, to work through a recruitment process. So we've got to keep things moving so that we continue to deliver the product that we've delivered so well for so many years to our clubs and to the community. And from the outside looking in, basically that you know the wheels keep turning and, and everyone does not even see a difference between a change in the personnel. And I think that's the, the role for us to play to make sure we have a smooth transition. And finally, it's a significant year on the NFNL calendar, given it is the NFNL centenary, of course, going back to the old uh, DVFA and DVFL and now um, into the era of the Northern Football Netball League. But um, to reach the 100-year anniversary, um, a, a great achievement for the league and an opportunity to, to look back and reflect on some of the, the great achievements and stories throughout the course of 2022. Yeah, exciting year, 100 years. Um with our state in the obvious, it's, it's a long time. Mm. And it, it's great to be able to celebrate a milestone like that and go back and just reminisce about you know, some of the things that have happened in the past and, and recognise different people who have contributed to the organisation over that period of time. Well, over the last probably five years or so, we've, we've done a lot of research through our historian, David Jones, who has been helping us through leading to this uh, centenary year 
He's pulled together a, a pile of uh, history and research and articles. He's been setting the State Library, going over papers and coming out with clips, etc. So he's done hundreds and hundreds of hours of, of work to pull everything together. The challenge now is for us to work through which ones do we, we pull out and and um, and re-promote. You know? But there's some really good content there, back to the 1920s articles and and just some really good human interest stories about you know, life back in the 20s, 30s, 40s, etc. and what football was like back in those days. And, um, yeah, I think everyone will enjoy sort of reading some of those things and, and just comparing how times have changed between what would have occurred back then to now. And, um, and that's a way of us sort of remembering the 100 years by reliving some of those, you know, fun times and interesting stories and celebrate the year so we'll have a regular rollout which has already started through our social media pages that you've put out some bits and pieces on, on the historical background of the league and we'll keep doing that all year and celebrate it and we've commemorated the centenary with a centenary logo so our footballs will have a centenary logo on them along with any jumpers that are manufactured this year so they can become a bit of a souvenir item potentially for players and, and clubs and um, we'll spend the year remembering a great hundred years. Well, let's hope it is a great year. I'm sure it absolutely will, will be. And there's no doubt we're all looking forward to what uh, there is to come in 2022 after two very difficult COVID-interrupted years. So thanks for your time uh, in joining us on the podcast, Pete, and best of luck for the season ahead. Yep. Thanks, Samuel. At La Trobe University, you'll learn lessons that last your entire professional life. You'll be inspired by thought leaders, change makers, and brilliant minds, teachers who are mentors too. Learn from experts, then become one. Learn the rules, then how to remake them. Discover your path to success and find your dream course at latrobe.edu.au. La Trobe University, all kinds of clever. Thank you for sticking with us on the NFNL podcast. We are going to now look ahead to the upcoming campaign in Melbourne Greyhounds Division 1, of course, our premier senior men's football competition. So much talk over the off-season's been about the incoming players. I can't recall an off-season where we've had an influx of former AFL players coming in like we will have this year. It started with Bandura announcing the signing of David Zaharakis. Since then, the Bulls have also landed Neville Jeddah, um, Daniel Goringer, Greensboro, Braden Sire across at Heidelberg, and, uh, and of course, Mott Morency, uh, adding both Lin Jong and also Mitch Honeychurch. Not to forget Jared Waite at Whittlesea as well. I guess, like anything going into any campaign now in the, the new COVID world, some of these players, we don't know exactly how much we'll see of them now because of the fact that there's been these new COVID top-up top uh, lists added for AFL clubs and we mentioned Zaha Rakis and, and Neville Jeter from the top from Bandura. Both of those two are on AFL uh, lists as such, or COVID top-up lists as well. So it'll be interesting to see how much football we see from some of these uh, premier players coming in. But nevertheless... They're their headline acts, but there's plenty of talent coming through. And what it probably leads to, Nick Sacco, is a competition this year in Meadows Greyhounds Division 1. And I'll correct myself already because it is now <laughs> Melbourne Greyhounds Division 1. But it goes without saying that it doesn't look to be one weak side in the mix of 10. And every game is going to be worth its weight and go. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's why it's the top division in the league because there are just so many exciting names coming into it. I mean, we do see the occasional 
uh, former AFL listed player come into to seasons gone past. But you're right when I say we've just had a monumental shift and, and we've had a lot of these players coming in, which you know is great for themselves, but it's great for us as an audience to, to come in and, and watch local footy. I think after two COVID-interrupted seasons, it's a perfect base to get fans coming back into the grounds and, and supporting their local team. But you're right, it's not just the AFL-listed players. I mean, uh, we spoke off air just about Greensboro. I mean, you know, yes, they may have lost some talent, but they just always seem to replace, and they've brought some great names. They bring Mitch Merkel back in to the side as well. They bring Lucas Aquilina, a best and fairest winner from Epping. They get Jason Rogers. Tr- Tristan Stead comes back from overseas. That's just one example of many. I mean... You know, there are a lot of different clubs that have brought in some great plays, um, not just across our own divisions, but from other leagues as well. And it just really strengthens that competition. So it will make for great viewing, no doubt. Last year when the season unfortunately came to a, a premature end, it was West Preston Lakeside on top of the ladder. The Roosters were crowned the minor premier. We do know that they were shooting for a third consecutive flag, given they were the back-to-back premiers in 2018 and 2019. They're probably one of the, the few sides this year that um, when you look at their lineup, they've probably lost more than they've probably brought in. That's, I guess, a credit to how strong they've been. But they've had a few players who have um, gone to Wangaratta, Jackson Clark and Liam McVeigh, star players, has to be said. Um, Jackson Clark, a, a best and fairest winner in, in the club and also a regular in the team of the year. Liam McVeigh hasn't played as much footy in, in recent years, but still a play you'd rather have in your club. And amazingly, when you see Garrett McDonald's name there and see it at AFL level, wasn't that a story from the off-season? Absolutely incredible. So um, they're one that uh, potentially doesn't have as strong a list, but it, it wait, we wait to see because we know how much depth they've had over, over seasons gone by. So all of a sudden, they've been the benchmark for the past four or so years. Are they still the one that you think that are at the top of the chain, or is there someone else that uh, potentially has, has surpassed them over the off-season? I don't think so. I don't think so now because the losses of Jackson Clark and Liam McVeigh, like you said, McVeigh's been missing, for, has missed some games in recent years and and can be replaceable. But Jackson Clark, that's that's going to be a tough void to fill because he he played every game under Rob Marana since he, since he joined the club back in 2017. And yeah, he's just been a terrific down back, down back for them. But I did speak with with Marana um, at the, during uh, late last year, and he said that that they can replace that they can replace them. They do have the depth to to replace them. But I I don't I don't think they're they're the top side to be honest. Yes, they've got a lot of talent, but I think it'll be I think it'll be a lot harder this year because I think I think teams like Montmorency and Bundura with the XAFL talent they have Montmorency in particular um they've made terrific they've made a couple of other terrific signings that I'm excited about Liam Whale Buxton from Ver- Vermont he was a team of the year ruckman I think he beat Zach Clark the former Fremantle and Essendon ruckman in into that Premier Division team of the year uh, Marcus Lentini we know he'll be playing more Port Melbourne this year but he comes across as well and Danko. Zenik, he comes, he comes back to the club from Avondale Heights. Yeah, so. and a former representative player who was actually injured the week after the rep game a few years back, so they never probably saw the best of him at, at club level, Montmorency, but he comes back in. There's no doubt that they've clearly been one of the, the hot talking points over the summer because of the players they've brought in. So when you look at, I mean, players, Ling Jong, when we, we expect him to take the competition by storm, he was a good AFL player who didn't quite get um, you know a, a clear run at it because of injuries, but best on ground in a VFL grand final. We know how damaging he can be and someone who just looks suited to, to playing grassroots footy and, and, and fitting straight in. We know it can be tough sometimes coming from the elite level, coming down. It is a different style of play. Yeah. 
I think the way that Lin Jong plays, he'll be a standout player. But the two you mentioned there, I think they're probably the most, the, the two that most clubs uh, or most pundits are expecting to really challenge West Preston. If it isn't the Roosters at the top of the pecking order, then I think most would say Bandura and Montmorency for the names that um, you've, you've mentioned there, Josh, and we mentioned from the outset of the program. Bandura was second on the ladder in 2021. It was a really quick turnaround after missing finals for the first time in two decades. But I guess um, when we look at their list of names, Nick, it's we, we talked about Saharakis and Jeddah. If they don't get as much out of them, if they are playing VFL football, they've still got such a strong squad from last year. They add in Jack Furlong, who's a premiership player with the club. Um, James Condello comes across from McLeod. Jake Hobbs from Taylor's Lakes as well. They're clearly going to have the depth because they've brought, um, in the in the past, probably 18 or so months, so much talent into the club, but they could potentially be impacted by VFL lists now because of the fact that you look at players just at the top of your head, you know, the Jackson Davies, the Tyler Youngs, the John Jorgensen's now linking up with Richmond VFL as well. So even for a club like Bandura, it's going to be so hard at the start of the year to try and predict how things are because so much will depend on whether these players are playing VFL footy or whether yeah. they're playing here in the NFNL. Yeah, you're spot on. Um, I think what works for Bandura is that they had such a great season last year with the team they had. They were a surprise packet, if you do remember, coming into the 2021 season. We didn't think Bandura were going to challenge with those those top, top sides in the division, but they came out all guns blazing. They ended up finishing second before the season um, finished up. So I, I think based off that, um, it really gives them a great opportunity, despite the fact that you know, most of these players might have VFL commitments that they can still put together some really good performances. And, you know, if Jeddah and Zaharakis do end up playing even three or four games this year, it's really going to help their confidence as well. And if they can get them qualified for finals as well, um, that'd be a magnificent boost for Michael Ryan's side. And, of course, Sam Lloyd in that lineup as well. We saw so much of him last year and what a quality addition he was directly out of the AFL system. Um, other sides who played finals last year that um, we, we must have a chat about, the Greensboro's North Heidelberg. So when I say play finals, I should say top five. We didn't get to finals, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. But Greensboro, Heidelberg, North Heidelberg, do we see them as being genuine contenders again or do we see potentially one or two of them sliding down the table? Oh, I do believe Greensboro are a strong case for that premiership favouritism again. I mean, I just mentioned it off the top of this segment um, the amount of players they've been able to bring in and talent they've still got in that team and of course um, all odds will be on Sadi Ghazi Sadi Ghazi coming into the team and, and seeing how he goes back at local level coaching and I know personally I'm very excited to see it uh, you mentioned the Bulldogs there I'm, I'm not really sure what to make of them this season we, they, had, they struggled in that, that last four or five games before the, the season got postponed and um, it, it really just had to you know cross my mind as to, to whether they are that that powerhouse that have been in the division in the last couple of years, they've, they've brought in some great names, no doubt. Like Jai Baddeley Kelly, obviously, is the one that comes in. Nathan Matthews returns to the side as well from Port Douglas. Uh, but I just don't know if they're going to be able to match it. Um, that, that, that formula end of last year does concern Yeah, they, they had the, the, the long injury run, there's no doubt about it, and struggled with depth. Didn't have anywhere near that the um, talent they would hope for um, ready to, to come in. But you're right, I think the, the addition of Matthews and, and Baddeley Kelly shores them up. Baddeley Kelly because he can play any end of the ground, yeah. so versatile. And then, mm. I mean, you just plonk Nick Matthews at fullback and you've arguably got the the, the best uh, or one of the better defenders in the competition. There are probably certainly some others around that uh, would, would be in contention for yeah. being the absolute best, but he's certainly in the conversation. So um, they're there. And then Heidelberg, well, they, they went younger last year. There's no doubt about that under Danny Nolan. And uh, this year they've uh, picked up a couple of handy ones from around the traps. Braden Sire's obviously been the, the main talking point, but Callan Smith comes in. He's the brother of Matt Smith, who was, of course, the competition 
uh, MVP last year. Um, Jacob Kenny from Labrador is uh, one to, to keep an eye on. So too uh, uh, Dylan Clark, a, a youngster from Wodonga. That's not the Dylan Clark from Essendon, however. It's a, a former Murray Bush Ranger. So good, some good ones coming in. And uh, I guess, as we know from the Tigers, they're, they're generally around the mark. They went younger last year under Danny Nolan, but um, they certainly produced uh, in, in big spurts. And um, they were, again, we talked about Bandura being surprising. Heidelberg was um, probably surprised themselves as well as just to how well they went last year. But we do know it is a new campaign and we all start from uh, zero and zero when we start. You talked about coaching changes, Nick. Um, there hasn't been that many this year. It's, it's, it's generally, it's settled enough. We've seen mm. Sardigazi come in at Greensborough. Braden Shaw's taking on a co-coaching role with Jared Tilly, but he's been part of the coaching structure at Hurstbridge for a couple of years. But one club that does have a new coach is McLeod. They're coming in with Craig Hayes at the helm this year, and they're a side that, um, looking at the ins, Luke Joyce, certainly the, the big one coming back from, from Banyul, but they have lost a bit of talent on paper as well. So McLeod, after the last few years having been a top-five side, do you see them somehow finding that form back from you know 2014 through 18 or, or, or 19 or do we see them uh, potentially um, looking at a, a longer season ahead I think th- I think they might struggle this year because yeah those losses James Candelo mentioned him going to Bundura Anthony De Silva he was a rock down uh, down back um in his in his only season with McLeod uh, Sahan Gassimza is there that's um he he was a pretty decent player. He was a pretty decent player on a wing. Um, he's gone to Pegs, and yeah, two of your more talented players, Hayden Gill and Joel Trudgeon, have gone to some of the top clubs in the borough and 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 West Preston Lakeside, and Reese Gleisner as well, gone to the EDFL and Hadfield. They, they are a couple of massive a couple of massive losses of regular players as well. Uh, it's a very handy inclusion having Luke Joyce because he he had such a terrific season in a potent Banyol forward line. Charles Smythe comes back as well so I'm interested it, it, it's going to be a bit more of a struggle I, I think yeah with the talent some of these other teams have acquired it will be a bit more of a struggle we know they're best I mean they're, they're better players on paper certainly elite players of the competition um, they're going to rely on them uh, as probably as much as they have in recent years and maybe more without quite the depth going into this campaign and then just a look at some of the sides who didn't quite play finals uh, or, or weren't in finals contention last year before we uh, fell short of the season but the, the Whittlesees the, the Hurst Bridges and Northcote Parks I mean maybe leads us into our, our first I guess question as to who do we see as being the competition's biggest improver do you see it being one of those sides that finished towards the bottom of the t- table last year or do you think someone from up above could be a, an even bigger improver and become an outright contender yeah I mean I, I really believe Whittlesey has the opportunity to rise up the ranks this season I know um, they've, they've brought in the big names you know your Corey Ragnars and Jarrah Waite and you know speaking with Blair Harvey at the end of last season there was a lot of optimism from that camp about what they can actually do and what they can achieve in the division now you know, there, there are going to be players in that side that will be, you know, going to VFL clubs and, and playing with them. But I'm, in terms of my prediction, I'm relying on the fact that they don't play there as often and that they actually build a strong team together. And Blair Harvey is absolutely capable of doing that as a coach. I mean, you know, they only got the two wins in their 12 games last season, but the potential was there. And, you know, I feel like they've been in the division long enough now to really take a stand. I feel like that, you know, they can really exceed the Northcote Parks, even the McLeods and the Hurstbridges as well. So not, maybe not necessarily, you know, go deep into finals, but at least push themselves to get into that middle of the table before they can really take another swing at it. But I like their squad and I think they, they can do some, some things this year. It's going to be interesting because for Whittlesey, I mean, you look at the, the ins and outs and the ins certainly are, are some handy ones there. 
and we talk about whether they can get a Wagner or not, but some of the younger guns have rightfully been added to VFL this. So again, we talk about how much, and we at this stage, we just don't know, and a lot of it can be impacted by COVID because if it means that AFL clubs are impacted, they're relying on VFL top-up players going up, and then it means that the the flow-on effect comes from from grassroots level. But saw um, Zach Malloy joining uh, Collingwood. They've got Wild playing VFL this year, and of course um, last year's best and fairest winner in Blake Watson. I think it was Sandringham. Yeah, I think he was down his, at Sandringham. Uh, yeah, this as year. his and rightfully so after I think it was nineteen or twenty throughout last year and, and yeah. deserved winner of their best and fairest. So it does it depend on how much um, they see of them? But I guess that could depend on the COVID situation as well. So I think they're definitely the mix. Um, Northcote Park is going to be a better side than last year's, no doubt about it. They were Norton 10 last year, or Norton 12 when the season ended, but they bring in um, Alex Boyce from, from Essendon 2 to Stars. Um, Mitch Jones is one to keep an eye out from Echuca. Also, um, well, probably the, the key one coming in uh, is, is coming across in, in Jordan Schroeder. He's been um, obviously on AFL lists. Um, he's coming across from Essendon Duda Stars along with Matt D'Angelo. So they've got so many players. Boyce has been a, a goal kicker at VFL level as well. And then probably the the key one and all of that. I mean, we, we we know what those players can bring, but one who we definitely are certain on as being a bona fide star of the competition is Jordan Perry, who's been the coach's MVP before, multiple best and fairest winner. He comes across um, with his brother Lucas from Marcelin. Lucas winning the competition under-19s best and fairest last year in, in the VAFA. There's some really good ins, and I know that depth's always been an issue for Northcote Park in recent years, but top-end talent won't be a problem this year, that's for sure. It, they do have the top-end talent. I spoke with their coach, um, Steve Stannington, a couple of weeks ago, and yeah, he thinks they're going, they're going to, they're going to improve a lot this year. And I can see, I can see why. They've also got players returning as well from injury who, uh, when they miss most of the season. Um, but yeah, he said to keep a close, uh, keep a close eye on Matty D'Angelo, who comes from Essendon Dowder Stars as well, and Mitch Jones from Chuka United. It, he said he'd never seen a fitter player than Mitch Jones, so he could be that, that, uh, that small forward. T- Type and yeah, small forward type. Um, yeah, kicking, kicking, kicking snaps and pestering, pestering the the smaller defenders. And yeah, it's a it's a very talented lineup. They haven't lost too many. I'm excited about the Perry brothers being back. Uh, Boyce and Schroeder. It's exciting. It's going to. I think they're going to be the most improved team from my view. And then Hurst Bridge as well. We've got some really good additions with Michael Florence coming across. Sonny Brazier will probably play um, VFL footy. Uh, the understanding, but um, uh, the Middleton boys coming across from Craigie Burn as well. They've got top end talent that they've been able to bring to the club. Kai de Klaas coming straight from Melbourne's premiership squad from last year, but he will play VFL footy. And then um, some of the outs significant, of course. Tom Grimes is probably the biggest one there, given he has been so consistent for them over over the journey. He's going back to Warrandyte, where he's previously spent a year. But I think that Hurst Bridge, um, when you look at their ins against their outs, certainly there's improvement coming there um, with co-coaches at the helm. So um, we talked about sides that could potentially be improvers this year. Um, we're going to give really quick predictions. I know we're a lot to uh, a lot to do between now and the end of the year, given there's, uh, there's so many factors to take into play. But if you were to look at a side that you think would be the premiership favourite going in, Nick, where do you see that line? Uh, Josh, you spoke about before West Preston being knocked off the perch as one of the, the top teams in the comp. I think they win it this year, and I know that they have lost some personnel, but they've got the depth to go really far, and have still got some fantastic players in that, that team. You mentioned, of course, the co-captains, Armand Sard and Nathan Valderis last year, um, but they've got the Valeri brothers as well, Luke LaRossi. They've got players that can still make a huge difference in that midfield in particular, um, and that can really you know take the fall for the ones that maybe aren't there. So West Preston Lakeside win it again for me. 
I'm going Montmorency. I just think their their inclusions and the side that they had last year, it's a terrific side. I think they can be the Bandura from la, uh, from last year. You know, it's going to be an exciting side, and I think they're going to be premiers this year. I've got Bandura on top for mine. I think there's uh, plenty of good sides in the competition. I think uh, if everyone has their best side in the park, I think the Bulls have probably the, the most stacked squad. So I've uh, got Bandura there. And um, maybe just a, a Frank Rosbrook medal prediction. I know plenty can happen between now. We don't know the exact availability of players, but um, if you were to have a quick punt uh, on that one, Josh, who do you think is that your leading contender for this year's Best and Fairest Award? I'm going to go with one who's come down, for, for one of the ex-AFL players who've come in, and that's Lin Jong. I think he can take... I don't think he's on a, a, a COVID top-up list, so oh. he's going to be playing pretty much each week with Montmorency, and yeah, it's... Uh, I think he can do some damage for them, and yeah, he's. Got, I reckon he's the he's the one to win the Frank Frostburg medal, Nick. Oh, I think Tom Bell wins it. Um, we know he did win it a couple of years ago, um, but I think he was pretty close last year, and I reckon a full season last year he probably wins it again for mine. Um, but this season, if Greensboro go another level. Um, and he leads the way in that midfield again. I don't see why he can't do it again. And I'm, I'm going off a similar method to you. I'm going for a player who's proven and, and we know what uh, what you get, you get week in, week out. But Jesse Tardio for mine, yeah. he, it's ridiculous. He's probably underrated. And yet last year he was, um, you know, for the majority of the year, leading the best and fairest and the, the coach's MVP count. I think get a full season into him if he's back to his absolute best. I'll, uh, I'll go there. We might just end it there because we're getting a bit, uh, bit uh, deep into the program. We've got plenty more to still have a chat about. So what we are now going to do is talk to the coach of the senior men's football coach of Montmorency Football Netball Club, Gary Ramsey, because his side has been one of the key talking points over the summer with some of their additions. And we're going to hear it firsthand now from the man who's going to coach the Magpies in 2022. Here's Gary Ramsey. Now joining us on the NFNL podcast is the senior men's coach of the Montmorency Football Club, Gary Ramsey. Gary, thanks for coming on and having a chat to us. No problem at all, Nick and Samuel. I'm uh, always happy to have a chat. It means uh, footy's close by. It sure does. We're all very excited for the competition to get underway this weekend. And it's a highly anticipated one, of course, seeing as the last two seasons have been um, heavily impacted by COVID. Talk to me about the morale of, of the team so far. Um, obviously, a longer pre-season than more than usual. So, yeah, just tell me about, the, I guess, the morale and the vibes of, of the side so far heading into another campaign. Yeah, well, I tell you, over the last, what, two and a half years, there's been plenty of uh, training sessions with not many games. Um, so morale's high. Um, looking forward to uh, getting into actually playing because, uh, yeah, as I said, there's been a hell of a lot of training and not a lot of playing. How's, how, I mean, Gary, you're obviously one of the coaches has been a long-standing coach within the Northern Football Netball League, but how hard has it been, or, or has it been hard to, to keep, um, I guess, the players' enthusiasm, given the fact that they've done, in the past two years, complete pre-seasons and then haven't been able to have too many matches? How hard is it going into this year to, to keep that enthusiasm up, um, you know, after what's been a long grind three years in a row without getting too many results? Yeah, no, look, it's, it's a good point. I reckon um, probably that combined with uh, the difficulty in getting training grounds is, has probably made it a, a reasonably tough, uh, probably me- uh, mentally pre-season because there's always that uncertainty after the last two years, you know, something in the back of it, oh, are we going to get through the season or not? Um, so, yeah, look, I think it, I think it, has, been, it has been reasonably tough and... Um, yeah, I think it's like now players are actually breaking routine to actually play rather than not to play. 
So, yeah, it's been, um, I know, I think we're a few numbers down from, uh, from last year. Other people have just, you know, have worked out, you know, either go to work or um, have found other things to do. So, yeah, I would suggest we're a few numbers down across the board. But um, enthusiasm's high from, from everyone that's there. The numbers might be down, but you've managed to get some really great signings coming into the start of the campaign. I mean, obviously, the, the big names that come out of that are Lin Jong and, and Mitch Honeychurch. Um, tell me about how they've settled into the, the team, not just those two, but all your other inclusions into 2022 as well. Just just how they've found the place and, and how excited they are uh, for the upcoming year. Yeah, well, probably if you had um, Liam Buxton in there yeah. as the Ruckman, um, so, no, look, they've been great. Liam doesn't miss a bit. He doesn't miss a training session. He's a, he's a, he's a real leader amongst the fellas. His enthusiasm levels are, um, are through the roof. He, uh, he's actually showed a lot of them, you know, um, probably some really good training habits. Um, and you'd probably look like he'd been in the, in the group for, for years, the way he, he leads them. And um, he, he's been absolutely fantastic. He... he gets his hands dirty and loves the competitive stuff. So, yeah, and probably with uh, Lynn and Mitch, they've had um, some limited pre-season. Mitch has just got uh, married and Lynn had a bit of an injury setback. Um, but uh, both are raring to go. Both will be ready for round one and uh, raring to go. Obviously, Gary, great inclusions on the field. We've also had some changes, I guess, in terms of leadership and uh, a few youngsters from the club who have uh, emerged through the program in, in recent years have now get the opportunity to take over as uh, as co-captains. How have, uh, have uh, the two boys, Sam Binion and, and Steph Uslak, taken to that role during the summer months? Oh, tremendous. Absolutely fantastic. Um, I don't think uh, Steph's missed a minute of training. Um, Sam, Sam had a bit of a had a bit of a uh, hamstring strain, but was there every night encouraging them. The young fellas love both of them. They're both very popular amongst the group. Um, and yeah, look, it's it's been a real a real positive. All the all the extra training sessions that them two run. Um, yeah, you know they've been fantastic, and I think they'll be great leaders for Montmorency for many years. What do you what do you make of the upcoming campaign? There's been some great signings right across the board. I guess there's a bit of uncertainty. Always there is always going to be uncertainty in a COVID world. But um, I guess with you know COVID top up lifts at AFL level, that impacts the VFL, which in turn can mean that players from grassroots are, are caught upon at, at different times, and even there'll be some late late call ups. But what do you make of I guess the competition as a whole? Given it, it does seem that those sides that were towards the bottom last year have, have really improved, and um, I guess there's going to be a real squeeze on um, for fighting for, for places in the finals but also trying to avoid finishing towards the bottom of the table yeah look I think it's um, pretty exciting for the league where there's been some real key signings of, of people with uh, AFL and VFL experience um, which is fantastic for the league uh, I think you know there's probably a lot of uh, different things can um uh, a lot of variables in the in the season to to realise that uh, your side can change a lot each week. Um, so um, oh, I think it's going to be a very even competition, like it has been in the past. You know, what I mean, it's it, uh, you know probably West Preston uh, will will be the side to beat again. Um, they probably uh, what won the last two and were on top last season. So it's a pretty good track record. 
Um, and then probably every side that was up there, Bandura, Heidelberg, um, all recruited well. Um, so Greensboro, North Heidelberg, you know, that, they all finished above us. So, you know, I mean, we're, we're coming from a little way back, but, um, yeah, we're, we're, um, our, our form was pretty indifferent. We lost to a couple of the lower sides and beat a couple of the higher sides. So we're probably looking to just uh, probably get some consistency in our performance, you know, to be able to put the same output out each week. Do you feel a bit more pressure just given the fact that you have been able to bring in a few players from, uh, from higher grades? That, uh, does that just add a little bit more to your expectations this year? Definitely, 100%, Samuel. Yeah, yeah no, the, the expectations are high. Um, the the goal definitely the goal will be to finish top three so that means we probably have to jump three of the sides that finished above us which will be a real which will re- be a really good effort but we're confident that can happen um, where where yeah the expectations definitely there's a lot more pressure to uh, probably the last couple of years we've played a lot of young kids we've given a lot of young kids experience. Um, and you know the pressure was still high. I still thought we could finish top three in both them years, but that didn't happen. Um, where this year we've definitely got the equivalent list of probably four other clubs. I reckon, you know, as far as experience and and uh, and uh, past performances go. So there's no reason if we're going to go in with the same sort of list as four others. There's no other. There's no reason why we shouldn't be finishing top three. You begin the season hosting Northcote Park in round one and um, you played this side in the first round of last year as well and you managed to get the win um, by 23 points. Uh, Northcote Park, they struggled last season, didn't end up getting that win, but they had a few occasions where they were really close to, to matching some of those top sides. How do you approach that matchup coming into the opening game of the season? Is it a bit of an unknown because of the extended break or, or what do you sort of make of what your boys can bring together and, and, and produce on Saturday? Yeah, well, I suppose Northwood Park are probably it's going to be a, a, a lot of uh, new players in their list with um, some of the recruiting of some fellas from the Essendon League and I think there's one there with AFL experience. They get the Perry brothers back who I've got enormous respect for. Um, so it's probably a fairly unknown list. So what I really do want to see for, is more or less from 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 my side, uh, from Montmorency, is to a real consistent performance each week, regardless of, of uh, where we're playing or who we're playing. Just a lot more consistency than what I've seen for the 12 games last season. Like, the differences from our best to worst was, was huge. Um, so probably rather than focus on the opposition, I'll, I'll be taking more of an approach every week just to focus on our own consistency and the things that, uh, you know, the things that we can sort of control, which we maybe didn't get right last year. And just one last one, Gary. We're now just we're right on the eve of the season. We're only a few sleeps away. You've been someone who's, you know, a football person through and through, and been uh, invested in in football really all your, all your life. But um, I guess just on a personal note, what's it what's it like just finally being back now after you know we've played I think it's twelve games in two years. On a, on a personal note, what's it like to to just be so close now to a new campaign, which we all, I'm sure are hoping that does go through uninterrupted. Oh, I'm extremely excited, Samuel. I think sometimes I, I might be like uh, Peter Pan, but I'm <laughs> actually grow. I get more and more excited every single season rather than the other way. I think I'm up to about year 20, um, and I, I, I don't feel any different than uh, year one. I may be even more excited now. As every year goes on, 
maybe I get a bit older um, <laughs> and uh, I, I get more and more excited every single year so I can't wait for it to have like a kid in the lolly shop I, I am uh, my eyes are wide open I'm ready to go well uh, we're all looking forward to it and uh, we uh, really thank you for, for joining us on, on the eve of the first game so good luck this weekend and, and for the season ahead uh, really appreciate you joining us on the first episode of the podcast for 2022 no thanks for having me on fellas I appreciate it Thank you for sticking with us on the NFNL podcast. We are now going to look ahead to MC Labor Division 2, the action kicking off this Saturday, five games, all with a 2-10 start time. It was one of the more interesting competitions last year. Banyul and Lowell Plenty both finished the season with 11 wins and one loss. And then there was a, a host of sides that were trying to catch up throughout the course of the year, Altham, Thomastown, Diamond Creek in particular being the ones and from that group, then below, there was uh, it was pretty tight between the, the bottom four. St Mary's just probably sitting in the middle of the top five and, and at the top of those sides and the, the bottom four. But what do we make of the season ahead? Because looking at the lineups from, uh, I guess, the sides that really contended last year in the, pre- uh, in the season that ended prematurely, you'd argue that um, those that, that led from the top have maybe lost a bit more than they've probably brought in this year, maybe the exception being the Thomastown Footy Netball Club. Yeah, I mean... It gives those other clubs a great opportunity to rise up the ranks. But you're right, you know, looking through some of these teams, Banyul and Eltham in particular were, were two that, that unfortunately had a lot of outs coming into the campaign. I think Thomastown and Lower Plenty is probably the, the main two that haven't lost anyone, um, and that really sets them well for the se- season ahead. But, yeah, like I said, it gives opportunities for those, those St. Mary's and Eppings and Watsonians to, to maybe take another little step and, and see if they can compete for that, that last one or two final spots. Um, yeah, it's, it's a great point you make, of course it is the competition with the three bears in it so yes. it does get confusing if we were to, to use their uh, their nickname but um, on a I mean there was barely anything separating Banyul and, and Lowell Plenty last year the fact that they were 11-1 and one, both losses well they had they split the wins one apiece when they played each other so you look at um, Banyul we know how stacked they were with talent they had um, you know probably the most top-end talent of any, any team in the list uh, in the competition last year. But they have lost some good ones with Nick Grabowski and Luke Joyce going out. Similar players. They're both X-Factor players. Can mm-hmm. kick you a, a quick bag of goals in, in a short period of time. Um, Jacob Smith goes out. Charles Smiles. So definitely lost some depth. Uh, has Lowell Plenty potentially surpassed them in the off-season? The, the, um, the lower side now to be coached by Phil Plunkett. So they'll have a perhaps a, a bit of a different setup about how they go thing, go about things going forward but when you look at their outs I mean, talking from a transfer point of view not talking about maybe retirements and whatnot which we'll find out more in due course but when you look at their, their significant transfers out there's not really anyone that uh, you could mention there but they do get in um, the Lynch boys from Anglesey and Daniel Yotzi is another one to keep an eye on a former Northern Knights player who's um, been umpiring for a little while now I believe and uh, coming back to playing footy if he can find the form that he, when he from when he last played three or four years ago, he'd be someone who would certainly play senior footy. I think Lowell Plenty had a benchmark coming into the season, and you've explained for most of those reasons why. I mean, they haven't really lost anybody of note. They flew under the radar last year for us. We were sort of focusing more on the Banyuls and the Elthams and the Tomos, and they've just they went in and won eleven games and lost one, and and it puts them in perfect stead, even though they are in for a new coach in Phil Plunkett. Um, I'm excited to see what Lowell Plenty do, and and I think I'm expecting him to be well into that finals and premiership uh, contender campaign. Um, I think Banyol for mine is still going to be certainly around the mark. I think they've lost those players. They've got so much talent through their squad. Unlikely they'll see Brent Stanton now, given the fact he is yeah. the, um, the VFL coach at Essendon. So um, additional commitments. We know he was a, obviously assistant with Carlton last year, but um, even more commitments now as, as a head coach of a, a side. So um, 
that's another loss for them. But I think they had so much talent to that side and, and genuine match wins. I think they can still cover their losses, but they probably just aren't quite at the, from a list point of view, where we, they were going into last year. But we do know how outstanding they were, given the fact they didn't lose a game until the second last game of the season. Uh, Altham, though, has, has lost a fair bit of talent. One thing we know about Altham, though, they've got a huge junior program. They've had two under-19s, and I think it's now... Um, for them an opportunity to, to play some of the younger kids who we saw play against Banyul in the last game of the season last year and to only go down by a goal with plenty of those young kids showing some um, some good sides that's probably been the catalyst as to them looking ahead and saying yes we've lost some key players but it's time to blood the kids it will be interesting to see how they go they've of course got one of the one of the great coaches of the NFL and Robert Hyde up there he I think he'll, he'll always he'll always find a way to get to get his side to improve but yeah um, Matthew Byron as well comes across from yeah, Penn Hill he's yeah. a, he's a really handy and Jason Panham as well he I think he had 19 goals in in 12 games in um in in the Bundura Reserve side, so that's a pretty big in. But yeah, their their losses, those are massive losses. The Carafa boys both going to Saint, both going up the road to Saint Mary's. Uh, Matthew Keys, he's gone uh, up the road to um, well next door neighbours, Old Eltham Collegians. Tim Curry, he's joined his um his old Williamstown teammate Adam Marcon at Aberfeldy. Tom Rogers and Sam Warren as well to Old Eltham Collegians. But the biggest loss of them all is Brett McCaffrey. It's going to be hard to replace you, someone. You can't, can you? No. I mean, Nick. We've seen the, the accolades that uh, that he's won in his time in the NFL competition, best and fairest, um, coaches, MVP. Um, you know, has coached the club at times. You, you, you just don't replace that that kind of talent. But what they can do now is is hope to find the next one through development, and I think that's going to be the the key thing uh, for them. Other sides that uh, were at the lower end of the table last year, probably I shouldn't include St Mary's in that because St Mary's was very competitive and and was still in finals contention when the season uh, came to a close. But of the sides that uh, were at t- towards the bottom last year, there seemed to be a f- uh, I guess four of them that um, were probably grouped together in in Panton Hill. Watsonia, Epping and Fitzroy Stars, where do we see the, the, the biggest improvement coming from, from those four sides? I mean, yeah, you take St Mary's out and there's a lot of potential for those teams. I mean, you know, Epping bring in a co-coach as well and that gives them a great chance. They have lost some pretty big names, however, in Lucas Aquilina, Jai Baddeley, Kelly are two big ones. They do bring in Thomas Burnside and Damon Markon, who I think... Markon's going to be a really good yeah. one. He, he was in the team of the year a couple of years back in a side that didn't win a heap of games, noted goal kicker, and of course played for Greensboro the year after, um, suffered an injury in time at the Borough. We didn't see the best win there, but he's a very good one coming in. Yep, and um, we know Fitzroy Stars are sort of in a, in a redeveloping stage of, of their club. Um, you know, at least for them, it's minimal changes, and that probably helps their cohesion as well coming into the season. Uh, Panton Hill is a big... I'm not really sure what to make of them because they've lost some really big names. Mitchell Anderson, Matthew Byron, Scott Conte, Matt Fowler, Mitch Merkel, Brent Ryan. These have been premiership players for that side um, that have really helped them through the ranks in Division 3. It, it gave them a bit of a building blocks to come into the, to last year's season. Um, and, and even though they've replaced them with some decent names, you know, Nathan Jasper coming from St. Mary's, Ollie Parks, Tom Shepard and Ethan Gorski, they're, they're good names, but it, it's just going to be interesting to see if they're going to be able to hold their own in this division. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the thing. I think they've definitely replaced them. I think the, the key for Panton Hill, it's a younger Panton Hill yep. side. It's always been a, a a club that, and you know, they've, they've acknowledged it themselves. They get players who have, um, towards the end of their career, and um, it's a bit further to travel out, but they, they enjoy it. They play together as mates. This time around, it's a much younger Panton Hill side, so they're actually looking to build for the future. And I think the names they've brought in are all going to have an impact, but it's the youngest-looking Panton Hill side we've uh, probably seen for quite some time. So 
I think for them it's going to be interesting early on because it's going to be such a different looking side as to they've lost the leaders from the past who's going to be the, yep. the, the new players to, to bring them into the future and Watsonia looks pretty settled they do have some, some handy ins coming in there Luke mm-hmm. White's played senior footy at Shepherd and Swans and James was sent from uh, has played senior footy at McLeod as well so um, no significant significant players transferring out but there are a couple potentially not going around this year but I think um, with, with what they had they were um, they showed some decent size last year I know their win loss um, tally doesn't quite reflect that but I think they were a lot closer in their losses than, than those other bottom four sides were when they, they played against the, the higher sides in the competition yeah it's going to be exciting to see how what's yeah, you go because I think um, yeah I think having that squad chemistry it w- would have been key for them because they're still such a young such a young side as well and going to be an exciting one. They've got really great facilities as well out there at Binnack Park. Yeah, that's one of the exciting things for Watsonia this year. New new home, which uh, they will unveil in the first round of the season when they take on Lowell Plenty this weekend. So, um, Thomastown, one last one before them. Um, I know we'd like to have a look at predictions, but two of their uh, inclusions, Jared Coulson and Masaki Miki, absolutely Massive. dominant players in in this uh, in third division of the NFL in, in recent years. Coulson, a three-time third division best and fairest winner. Masaki Miki, a club BNF winner, former captain at Heidelberg West as well. To me, I know they're coming up a grade. I can't see why they're not going to be standout players in the competition given how dominant they were in, in third division. Yeah, they'll fit right in, Samuel, and I think they'll be the ones that challenge Lower Plenty the most, in my opinion. They already had a pretty solid season last year before that campaign got called off, um, and they've still got some quality names. You know, you've still got your Michael Tangs and your Anthony Capicci's, just to name a couple, that are going to come into that side and, and still make a huge difference. Um, yeah, they're the challenges, in my opinion, um, for the Premiership. And I guess now we'll, we'll may as well say, say from the top. So your premiership prediction, yeah, Mixaco? Lower Plenty, I still think at a benchmark. Um, you know, they probably would close to going all the way last year. Uh, but I believe the the one of the these bears um, will definitely be uh, up there again. And for yourself, um, uh, Josh, do, who do you see as being the, the premiership favourite going in? I'm going to go with the challenges. I'm going to go with Thomastown. Those inclusions of Colson and, and Masaki Miki, they're massive. They're, it's going to be... I'm excited to see the Colson and Carter combination out at, out at Main Street. And Matthew Vasilevsky, yeah, that's a bit of a loss, but mm. I think it's still a massive... Uh, those two are massive signings, and I think they can take them all the way. I'm with I'm think with you, Nick. I think Lowell Plenty is my favourite for mine. I, I think the, the three bears are going to be the top top three sides mm-hmm. this year in the competition. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting come final time if that's the case. But uh, I think um, I like the way that Thomas Downs built over the last couple of years. I think they can contend in Banyol. I know they lost some good players, but I still think, um, given the quality that was in that lineup, I still think that they're going to be um, right there in the mix. So I won't look too far past them. Who do we see as being the potential standout players in the, the competition this season? I went Ruben Blackmore more. Um, a great season for him last year. And I think with some of those outs now, He's going to stand out even more, particularly in that midfield. He will really dominate. I know um, we covered their game against Altham last year where he was, was extremely dominant. Um, so I believe he's a great chance to um, to go and, and receive that best and fairest award. And uh, Josh Ward, who do you see as being potentially the standout player in, in second division this season? I'm going to go with Thomastown again. Tyron Leonardis. I think... I think he'll get a bit more freedom now with Masaki Miki coming in. He he will add that extra inside run, and Leonardis will be able to create those chances from 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 the centre square or from 
midfield. And he has he's had his injury problems, but I think he can take his game to the next level. We've seen how great of a player he can be, and I think he can win them. Um, for me, I guess I look at, at players who have been noted you know, vote winners over the journey. Tom Keyes doesn't go away, does he, from, oh, from yeah. Auckland? He, he won it last year. He was always around the mix. I, issue for, I guess, him, the, the amazing thing last year, look at the coaches' votes, and there was five little plenty of players in the top six, and you've got you know Darcy Barden to contend with, and um, also now Tom Blake's become a real um, real vote winner as well. But um, I think um, Tom Keyes, I mean, as a player who's represented the league, I know he won it last year, is in some ways a, an obvious selection in, in some regards, but um, you know what, what you get with him, and he's a, a dominant player who can also kick goals as well. So um, I think he's a he's a standout as well. And I think Jack Langford at Banyol, I think it'd be interesting to see how he goes um, goes around this year because he was he played some games last year. He was just unstoppable, really. He's a player who's um, a, a great player in Division One, coming back to the uh, into second division over the last uh, couple of seasons. Uh, I think he's got the capability. I, I know you've tipped a, a team out of his, but if he can get a consistent run at it, um, yeah, he could he could just do anything really. So I think he's another one to uh, keep a, a close eye on. Um, we do look ahead now to Heidelberg Golf Club Division Three. It will be an eight-team competition once again this year. Um, and the action against uh, start this Saturday on uh, across four four venues. Um, looking ahead to the season, what are, what are we, I guess, anticipating from Heidelberg Golf Club Division Three going into two thousand and twenty-two? Yeah, I mean, it, it's still going to be a great competition, no doubt. There was a bit of a split last year between the top four and the bottom four teams, um, but. We got some surprises. We saw Old Eltham Collegians really rise up and, and give Mernda a run for their money for that, that fourth and fifth spot. And they ended up finishing in fourth before the season got cut short. Mm. Um, and then it gives a chance for the Lorimers and the Kilmores to take it right up to South Morang, who were really the top side um, in that competition last year. So uh, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but it is great opportunity for those sides. You know, that they've had the extended break off. They're coming into this season. They've brought in some new names. And uh, yeah, a really great chance for them. Yeah, well, I think if you look at the season, I think, um, you know, with it's acknowledged with sides like Layla and Reservoir for them, it's about um, being as competitive as, as possible. And they're looking to, to rebuild for the, their long-term futures as well. So they've both had um, significant turnovers in, in their playing groups, but also new coaches at the helm, so looking to go into new areas. So I think when you're looking at in terms of who's going to be at the higher end of the ladder, I think it goes without saying that probably the six sides looking to play finals. The other two are trying to be as competitive as they can to possibly be. South Morang will be breathing fire. I mean, they've been so close so often. They're knocking on the door continually. And when you keep doing that, eventually the door opens for you. And last year they went um, into... or they were undefeated until the final game that they played for the season, albeit they did lose to Lorimer, who's always going to be one of their, their major challenges. They don't ha- often turn over the list too often, South Morang. It's coming from the, the juniors within. And you look at their lineup this year, though, I think they've, they've brought in... Um, particularly with Nathan Stefanol and Bailey Brown coming back, I think there's a, a chance there f- now for them. They were the top side last year, and that's two significant ins without having really lost much. Oh, I think for, for, for South Brain, they've been looking at this year, and, and they've got the motivation there. They've lost a couple of grand f- uh, or grand final in the last full season we had. They would have been one of the favourites in 2020 had we played. They proved that last year. It is a young list. They've now played a lot of footy together, and they've got some probably talented youngsters still pushing through the ranks. South Morang will be looking this year. I think they're probably more determined this year than any club in the NFL from a football senior men's football perspective. This is the year, I believe, of the line for South Morang. They mm. are definitely ones that have to take that mantle in Division 3, feel like. They definitely deserve it. They've, they've been in there. They've gone through all those final series with no avail. Um, it, 
like you said, those ins, particularly Nathan Stefanol, that is a fantastic in to help their ruck stocks. And he's coming into a great midfield group as well. Ty Hall's been um, superb in the last couple of seasons. He'll be great again. You've got a great forward line that, that kick a lot of goals in Jake Potter, Ben Pedersen, Alex Kalidas, for example. That They are all quality names. And, and you bring in that talent, um, they're going to be very hard to stop this year. I think, um, yeah, they, they'd be desperate. But I think the other one you look at is, is Lorimer. They might feel the same. 20, um, 2019, they had a, a campaign where they were top of the ladder for most the year it is a young lineup Jimmy Atkins at the helm they got better as the season built last uh, last time around and they themselves have also brought in a couple of handy ones but Nathan Andrews knows about winning flags he's done that plenty of times with Whittlesey good to see Ethan Frawley back in but the difference with Lorimer is they have lost some good players going out of their lineup Josh Williamson's been the best forward in the competition in, in recent seasons in Heidelberg Golf Club Division 3 he's gone over to Waverley Blues also lost Ethan Gorski, who has gone over to Panton Hill, was top three in the BNF last year, and, and Brody Glenn's only a youngster, but um, had a few games last year. We thought he was only 16, but he, he could have been anything, and he's uh, joined Whittlesey now. So for Lorimer, they've got some good ones in. Might have lost a couple, but it'll be interesting to see. They'll be uh, pretty uh, pretty adamant to um, to knock over their old foe if they can, or their local foe. And then I guess we've probably looked at those two there. They're, they're going to be the, probably the two most have it, uh, uh, I guess, as the, the benchmark sides, but Josh Ward, with, we look at Kilmore, and, and they didn't have a, a heap of change, and we expect them to be still a, a pretty good side, but got some good ones coming in, and old Alton Collegians, I mean, it's almost a, a side that was top four when the season finished last year, has brought in a, a host of new names, and it's almost hard to know exactly where they sit in it, because it's going to take a while for all these players to really gel together and, and to, to really see what, what old Altham's going to be about this year. Yeah, it's an exciting old Altham lineup. I, I, I'm really excited by it. You know, they've got players coming back who played with them in the Vaffa days, Matthew Crooks and ben, ben Gill from the country. I like the inclusion of Brad Johnson from Laylor as well as um, Jonathan McCartney who comes across with him. Uh, Matthew Keyes and Tom Rogers, those are two massive signings from Altham and Sam Warren coming along the way. Uh, Nick Milne, that was a massive signing in recent really weeks good. as well. He's... Uh, Terrific half forward for Hurstbridge these recent years. Well, I think the other one that's going to be interesting is just how they stack up against one another because we know how hard their ground is to play on. The opposition side really do challenge, um, struggle when they get across to Eltham College. But most sides in, in Heidelberg Golf Club Division 3 are going to be young, and particularly those who are in the mix. You, know, you look at Lorimer, you look at South Rang, very young sides. Old Eltham's almost gone the other way, and they've got a lot more experienced players. Matthew Keyes, of course, coming from Eltham. Um, Tommy Rogers as well so it's just a, a completely different mix it's um, yeah being entertaining so when they come up against each other um, as to you know which method holds out I guess um, Heidelberg West I guess they, they're hell-bent on, on playing finals they haven't done that for a good part of uh, two decades they have got some really good ones coming in and just more recently there's a transfer coming in for Jordan Bullman from, from North Heidelberg Louis Hill and Lockie Evans come across for them and, uh, and Marcus Hill um, comes from uh, from the bush, but has played in this league before. Nick Patton's one they've been raving about. Comes from Montmorency, but I guess the question has to be asked: How do they possibly cover two of their the club's best players in the past? Well, definitely in recent years, but they've been two of the dominant players when you look over the past three or four decades. In Jared Coulson and Masaki Mickey, they're not going to be easy easy to replace. Absolutely not, Samuel. And I mean, especially for Jared Coulson, we we know there was talk about him moving clubs at the end of 2020 and he stuck around and it gave Holderberg West that hope and 
Um, they'll be kicking themselves that the season couldn't be finished in the in the sense that it would have been maybe the year that they finally do make that top four and play some finals, and that may have in, insisted on Colson to stick around. But um, yeah, look, it, it'd be very difficult for them, and, and hopefully it doesn't knock too much of a wind in there. So I'm sure Michael Misson can rally the boys around and get themselves back into it. And the same with Masaki Miki. I mean, you know, they're, they're just two brilliant players that have been staple holders of that competition for a while now. Um, and yeah, it'll be, it'll be difficult to replace, no doubt. So who do we see as um, who do we see as being the, the side to catch in 2022? For for mine, like I said from the outset, I think South Morang um, probably improved on, on last year. So for me, I can't go past them as, as the favourite in the competition. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Samuel. I think South Morang are absolutely the favourites to win this competition. I'd be a bit disappointed if they didn't go all the way because you feel like this is their time to strike. And, and even though there's some teams that will compete strongly with them, I think this has to be the chance the Lions take. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be South Morang. They're they're young. Those those signings of of the Brown boys, Bailey in particular from Montmorency and Nathan Stefanos. We've, as you guys have said, they're two massive. They're massive signings, and yeah, it's a terrific group. I, I think it's premiership or bust for them. And uh, uh, best and fairest prediction. Yeah, tough one. This one. I, I was thinking Ty Hall, but I've made my choice, and I'm going for Thomas Cleary from Old Altham. Um, we, we talked about how great their signings have been for them and, and it might really elevate their status in the division and, and get them that first finals berth in the NFNL. Thomas Cleary has been a key cog in that, in that team and, and I think that you know the more they get noticed, the more he stands out in that side and, and I reckon he'll link up well with some of those new inclusions that come in and, and he plays a great role and I think this is his chance to win it. I know I mentioned Tom Keyes in the, the previous uh, second division uh, preview but you know... I think if Chris Ryle can win the, the best and fairest last year playing seven games, yeah, true. give him a full <laughs> season, I can't go past that, to be perfectly honest. I think he polled in every game he played last year. Prolific ball winner, kicks goals. Yeah, from you know, I know you've had a chat with um, uh, Nathan Phillips at, at Kilmore. Or, uh, we've had a, an article with with Nathan published on the NFNL yeah. website, and he said that um, um, you know, Chris is pr- tracking well from that knee injury. I think um, he gets a, a long run at it, and I just think that the way he, he, he polls votes in games, he was leading the coach's MVP when he went down. He was leading the best and fairest, managed to hold on in, in that award, and I think give him, yeah, give him yeah. an 18-match season. Um, I think call. he's got another yeah. opportunity to pull votes there. I, I was thinking his teammate Chris Barn or Lee Irons as well because they're two terrific players. But, yeah, I think I've got to go Chris Chris Roll because it was a remarkable season from him. And, yeah, he's. I, I spoke with him after he won that best and fairest and he said he just wants to keep on improving. And I, I, think, I think he can keep on improving and, yeah, he'll take his game to another level. We're going to go to a short break. We'll be back on the other side of this. You are listening to the NFNL Podcast. The Meadows Conference and Events Centre offers a range of conference opportunities for your next event. Whether it be an end-of-year work party, the next conference, or even a funeral or wake, The Meadows can host any event. To find out more info, head to themeadowsevents.com.au. You're listening to the NFNL Podcast. It is now time to take a look at the action that's coming up in the women's football competition. Of course, as we have done in recent years, the women's competition will be graded across the first four weeks of this season. So it does mean it's a bit hard to really give a, an accurate preview because we don't quite know exactly where, where sides will sit until uh, one month into the season. But what is fantastic is the fact that we do have 23 teams competing in 2022. And they are representative of 18 clubs in the competition, which I think first and foremost is an outstanding achievement to think that you know, five years ago, this competition didn't have a women's football comp- competition. Mm. And now 18 clubs within within the league have now got sides 
West Preston Lakes are the one who certainly deserve, um, and, and Heidelberg as well, because two clubs from within the competition for the first time will field two teams, which I think is an outstanding achievement. We know Montmorency's been able to do it in recent years, and we've seen the likes in the past of Darabur and Diamond Creek Women's who are going to do it again. Clubs who are obviously um, women's clubs who have competed in the former VWFL, but I think it's an outstanding achievement to see the, the growth that's coming from within that we are now at a, at a, a stage where clubs that um, have been long, um, I guess, long-term clubs in the NFNL men's football competition have now grown to... Um, be in a position where when you're talking the Montmorency's the Heidelberg's and the West Preston Lakesides they're in a position to, to field two teams which is for mine an outstanding achievement and, and great that they've been able to build that right from within yeah it's great to see, it's great to see and particularly for Heidelberg as well because they came into the competition in 2019 mm. I believe it was and now they've got two teams after only two seasons yeah. it's great to played see played in a grand final in their first season of women's footy we were yeah. very close to having two teams last year just missed out and have come back and have done it this this year which is great and, and West Preston Lakeside Mighty work from there, and because yeah. they played in grand finals in their first two seasons, played in a, a losing grand final first up in second division, won the grand final the next year, and in, in recent years have played division one, have tested themselves out against the best, haven't had a, a heap of wins. Just goes to show that um, when you work hard on the project, um, you, you start to, to reap the rewards. So the first game of the season is going to include West Preston Lakeside. They're at home against Altham. It is twilight footy on Saturday, so it is the standalone game on Saturday from a women's football point of view. West Preston Lakeside 1 are up against Altham at J.E. Moore Park. That starts at 4 o'clock. So from a, a radio broadcast point of view, the broadcast team will be out at J.E. Moore Park to call the senior men's uh, match between West Preston Lakeside and Bandura. And then, of course, uh, they'll be at the ground and the Altham game will be there. Um, West Preston versus Altham game will be on thereafter. So um, you can hear some, some updates throughout the the opening of that game there. On the Sunday, we have a couple of doubleheaders or venues that host doubleheaders. Darabin, um, both their two sides are at home. Darabin 2 taking on Banyul from 1.30pm. That's followed by Darabin one up against Greensboro at three, and Diamond Creek Women's will also host two games at Plenty Park Oval. The second side plays first against VU Western Spurs, who are down to just yeah. the one side this year, VU Western Spurs. So that, that game's at one thirty. Uh, before Diamond Creek Women's 1 takes on Montmorency 1 at 3 o'clock. The remaining games see Fitzroy Stars at home to Whittlesey at Sir Douglas Nichols Oval. Heidelberg's second side is away to Hurst Bridge at Ben Freelay Oval. Lorimer at home to Reservoir at Lorimer Reserve. Lowell Plenty up against Heidelberg. That's at Montmorency Park South Oval. Of course, those two sides both played Division 1 football back in 2021. We've got Mernda up against Wallen at Waterview Recreation Reserve. And St Mary's is hosting West Preston Lakeside 2. That game at AK Lions Reserve, of course. Uh, a ground that we um, we know in the NFNL is the home of Watsonia. Won't be the case this year with Watsonia moving out to Binnock Park and gives opportunities to St Mary's to use AK Lions Reserves for the women's program. Montmorency 2, unfortunately, have drawn the short straw there with an uneven number of teams. Uh, the unfortunate side to have the bye in round one. So... A reminder to everyone that we do have grading for the first four weeks and then we can get a much clearer picture of how things operate thereafter. Of course, we had a chat about women's footy with Peter McDougall earlier in, in today's program, but a reminder as well with the grading that sides do take their wins across with them once we, we get out of grading, but percentage doesn't count. They are short, um, slightly shorter games for Division 1 and 2 because all grading games are 15-minute quarters 
when we split, the likelihood is to be three um, competitions again. Um, Division one and two will go back to having 20 minute quarters and uh, Division three to stay at the 15 minutes. But it is great that at least you can take your your, your wins with you when uh, mm. you move out of grading and uh, and. Yeah, if you do have a fast start to the year, you you are rewarded for that, albeit percentage uh, won't be applied. So we've seen that in recent years, and I think it, it goes to show that you get healthier competitions thereafter. And the reason purely for grading is that the, the probably the higher turnover in in, in playing lists in, in women's footy we've found over the over the journey so far that um, a lot can change from from one year to the next, and um, and hence why probably the grading process works so well. No different to. Uh, under 19s men's footy and and also the, the juniors as well when there can be significant change from year on year so um, good to see that uh, the women's footy is back in action as well and um, on Friday night uh, that's just gone Josh Wood we were out at the the netball seven new premiers have been crowned action packed good to see stadiums filled with with people again and, and having great atmosphere in the venue and uh, yeah it felt like time's gone by so normality felt like it had resumed but it was a great night to um, to wrap up the 2021-22 summer netball season. It was the perfect combination for uh, yeah for the net, summer netball season yeah it was a great atmosphere out at Latrobe Sports Stadium all three of us were there on the night and yeah but uh, so there were some really great games the great thing about this as well is it's seven victories for seven different clubs as well and Section 1, you had St. Mary's. Section 2, Heidelberg, Heidelberg 1 going back-to-back. Back. Hume, Epping, Kilmore, Northcote Park and Montmorency, who, who did have three t- teams. But, yeah, their their third their third team did manage to get the win. A recurring theme from the, all those games. Most of them ran away, ran away with um, with victory. Like in the Northcote Park, Montmorency. In Northcote Park 2, Montmorency, Section 6, Grand Final. Um, the Cougars, they piled on. They, they got 20 goals to Ankin conceded only five in in the second and third quarter and against Heidelberg and Greensboro in section two that was a really close game until the fourth quarter where Heidelberg ran away with it um, and St. Mary's and Montmorency it, that was very close only a three goal game which was the perfect way to end the summer netball season. But yeah, yeah that was the section one game that was a lower scoring game more defensive game I think um, yeah. both sides uh, defensive outfits um, were pretty strong and wasn't as, as prolific as some of the other games you watched I think one play we, I mean, not that you want to highlight just one, but you look at um, Caitlin Ryan from St Mary's on the night. Mm. Um, of course, on the night we were able to award the the best and fairest and, and leading goal shooters from from all competitions. Which, um, given there's not an awards night uh, over the summer, it's great that they can be recognised on Grand Final night with with people um, in the house to uh, to celebrate those victories. But Caitlin Ryan shared the competition best and fairest with her teammate. Um, in Casey Lashford, but then also takes home the best on court award in the grand final, and uh, of course the Premiership medallion as well. She almost needed a uh, a wheelbarrow to to carry out all of her awards. So that was a a magnificent achievement. But like we said from the outset, it was an almighty effort, given the fact that you know, the competition didn't start until we'd only been out of lockdown for three weeks when the competition started. And when you you take into consideration the amount of time that people had spent inside their house, unable to you know train as a team to First off, to just organise the team to be able to play, to get any training in. Granted, there are there were three rounds of grading to to try and and, and find your your feet or your grade, but an almighty effort. And to have, um, you know, you know, the team numbers in the mid forties, um, which was I think the second highest um, number we've had in a in a summer season. Given what we've just come out of, I know people de- de- desperate to probably get out of the house and catch up mm-hmm. with friends again, but to be able to to put teams on the park and it's the little things that I guess gets forgotten. But you know, registering teams getting uniforms and whatnot it's a it's a 
a heck of an effort and then to see you know, great quality play and it bodes well now for the upcoming winter season where we are expecting to have a, a, another another spike in, in team numbers as well. So we're looking forward to that. That won't start until um, the conclusion of the uh, school holidays, so a, a month away from, from now, um, just to give some, some breathing space. In years gone by, the two seasons have, have basically backed on to one another. Um, here it gives us some clear air, it gives players a, an opportunity to recuperate in between playing the, the summer season into the winter and uh, yeah, hopefully it leads, leads to, to some great netball. We've also got junior netball starting up as well so there's a few practice matches that are starting up um, throughout the course of this week here just to give opportunities as well but it is a space that as Peter McDougall alluded to earlier in the program that there's been significant work done um, in-house by um, both Dale and Berry and Lauren Theodosis as well to really grow netball throughout the um, the Northern Football Netball League and hopefully have a pathway whereby no different to what with, with footy, and we've seen it with men's footy, but also now with women's, where you can play with one club from you know your juniors and uh, play with them all the way through to your seniors as well. So plenty of, uh, of uh, happenings in that space, and we'll have plenty more throughout the, the course of this year with um, updates coming directly from uh, NFNL House, but also having a chat to those you know in the heart of all that club land with, with coaches and, and whatnot as well as we um, look to further build the, the netball program. So... That's all we have uh, time for. We've probably been pretty thorough and it's gone a bit longer than we might have anticipated, but um, it all, um, from a football point of view, begins this weekend. We wish everyone uh, the best of luck in their pursuits this weekend, but for the season ahead, after two interrupted seasons, I think everyone is hoping we get a, a clear run at it this year, uninterrupted, and that everyone can go out and just do what they love, and that's play sport and catch up with friends on, on a weekend and, and get around to, to the club and, and socialise with mates. I think that's uh, so important. What we probably miss more than um, than we realised when we knew we couldn't play, but um, just, the I guess, the, the networks and the, the relationships that y- you just lo- lose touch with, with with not being able to, mm-hmm. to catch up on a, a Saturday or a Sunday uh, and on a Friday night at, at netball as well. So it's been great over summer to see people reconnecting again, and we just can't wait to have... The, uh, the action you know, here in, in full now for the two, uh, 2022 season. So um, do be sure to keep uh, checking the NFNL website and socials for all the latest happenings, but uh, we'll be here each week to, uh, to review and preview all the action throughout the 2022 season. Get to the website, check the fixtures, get out to your local ground and, uh, and catch up with your mates. It's going to be an outstanding season. Josh, Nick, thanks for your time. Looking forward to um, hearing you throughout the, the course of the 2022 season, but I'm sure you're just like me. We just can't wait to be back out there this weekend. Thanks, Samuel. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very excited to be back amongst the local crowds. and Yeah, I'm just thrilled to, to be a part of it all once again. So senior men's football begins Saturday. We've got one game of senior women's football also on the Saturday, as we said throughout the program. Sunday, massive day of women's football action, along with the juniors back out there again. So good luck to everyone in action. We look forward to having your company throughout 2022. Until next week, you've been listening to the NFNL Podcast. 